0: What's up, Wild Side besties and baddies? I'm Bailey. And I'm Chelsea. And we're here to walk you through the Wild Sides. From homicides to hosticides and everything in between. We're so glad you're here, so buckle up and enjoy the ride. Oh. <laughs> uh, yes. I just back. want... I just want you guys to know that every time that we start a podcast, it gives us like a countdown and Chelsea does the part from what is that Wayne's Wayne's World World, where they do the three two one and go. Go. That's really funny. So if you guys haven't seen Wayne's World, then you really should because it's worth it. It Is it worth it? Let me work. Let me it. work I it. put that thing not down, thing for down for and reverse it. it. All right, yeah, he so does. we are going straight back into our probably not favorite dude ever, the Bayou Strangler, Ron Don, Ron Dumbass. Don. God, I hate this guy. He sucks. Gosh. He's even worse than the dude off of Happy Gilmore, the one who's always like jackass and he fucks everything up. Mm-hmm. Ronald mm-hmm. Dominic's even worse than him. God I hate this guy. I hate this Ron Dominic. Yeah. Like, did you did you see his Tommy Hilfiger nineteen ninety seven polo shirt that he was in and all of his criminal pictures? God, no I hate that guy. It's like gold and maroon and hunter green, Tommy, Hilfiger, stupid ass. I hate this guy. I know. You know, he's one of those guys that when you read through this initially, like part one, you're like, oh, poor Ronald. Oh, no, I do. I do feel bad for Ronald. When the victim count starts going up, you're just like, man, this dude's the worst. He really sucks. He's the worst. And then- And then you walk away from it, and you process it. You you mull it over, and you're like, "Fuck this dude, man! I hate him. I hate him." I think I I just hate social outcast. I mean, seriously, like I just hate people who prey on like pick somebody your own size. Like go after you know like these big ass two hundred and fifty pound you know bench pressing you know what i mean like make it an even fight like don't go yeah. after these little skinny 18 year old kids that i think yeah. that's what pisses me off with this stuff like be a man you know like well, and pick he did, on somebody and he, your he own size. into it so it's not even like i know he just goes straight he just he 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 manipulates and he tricks them into it and it's like our buddy armin the cannibal of rotenberg when we were talking about him at least he was straightforward with it at least that's what i mean hey i want to do this weird nasty stuff are you are you open to that and people are like yes yes they knew what they were walking into correct correct this guy i hate and you'll and we're going to get into even some more details and you'll see how it's just going to make you even more mad okay Well, without further ado, I guess. So we're going to come back to part two, and we are going to jump to the year 2002. So when we left, we were still in the 2000s, and he took a break for the whole 2001. Mm. I wonder what he was doing. I mean, he was probably, like, you know, jacking off in his trailer, doing nothing with his life, right? And so, doing, doing Taibo. I think that's when Taibo hit the market. Billy Blanks, <laughs> Taibo. Oh, um, I I'll don't you, think yeah, he was. I'll tell I you don't... what he wasn't doing. Yeah. So writing he his was... reflection journal. <laughs> yeah. So in late two thousand and two, Dominique and his sister moved to a rural community. Of Bayou Blue, and that's what the documentary is named after, mm. Bayou Blue. Okay, so it's a community there, still kind of outside of Homa in that area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At this point, Dominique found a job working as a meter reader for the local power supply. So he goes around and checks meters. Mm-hmm. So once again, it gives him an opportunity to kind of roam the streets, right? He yeah. can look, scout for victims, places to dump a body, all of that stuff. Yeah. Right? Yep. So we are in 2002. Whoop, whoop. But- Class of 02 right here, baby. Baby. No problem but back- with that year. <laughs> we should get a tally book and just tally all the times we bring up this, this soft spot for you. Yeah. So back in early October of 1999, Dominique had become associated with the 20-year-old Kenneth Randolph Jr. Mm-hmm. Their Kenneth Randolph Jr. He had been prosecuted three separate times for child molestation. Mm, hate and those guys. Happened to live near Dominique's trailer park, so he had known him for a little under two years. So Dominique, again, this is arguably a smaller community. Circles overlap. People know people, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In mid to late October of 2002, Dominique lured Randolph into his trailer using a very Dominique-esque ruse. Gosh, Rouse's supermarket keeps messing me up. Mm Mm-hmm. He told Randolph that a girl, not a woman, a girl wanted to have sex with him. And Randolph agreed. And went to his trailer. Once in his trailer, Dominique attacked Randolph and killed him. He dumped his body in a field outside of the city. Randolph's partially naked remains were discovered on October 6th. So at this point, Dominique had a 10-month gap from Mitchell Johnson to Kenneth Randolph Jr. Just under, so there was a pretty short, excuse me, there's a pretty long gap. Just under two weeks later, Dominique murdered yet again. So I'm I'm gonna ask you a quick question. Yeah. I I have a lot of there's a lot of conflict morally for me on this stuff where I am like they are human beings first who deserve love and all this stuff. And then after that they are pedophiles and rapist and all this stuff do you have a little bit like do you have a hard time with I mean the people that he's killing like especially this last guy it's like he was he was sick too like it's like the sick eating the sick and part of me is like I don't condone that but at the same time I'm glad that he's not on the streets right going after little kids anymore you know what i mean like does does that make sense what i'm trying to say totally. do you have that conflict of like ooh i hate this so much because i believe that people are valuable each individual person is a valuable person but there's this element of like but you know what i'm not fully sad that this person with this deviant behavior is no longer here yeah that's that's a tough one i I think I said something similar to this in the cannibal episode where I think that lots of people can be rehabilitated. Mm -hmm. You know, I've in my job profession, I've worked with uh, offenders. I've worked with, you know, boundary violating behaviors and addictions, right? All types of addictions. Um, and so I think that a lot of people can be rehabilitated, but I feel like there are there's a percentage of the population that just cannot. Yeah. Right. No matter how much money and research and interventions you throw at them, they're just not gonna change. And yeah, I know. I just for struggle me, with feeling I struggle with feeling empathy or sympathy. Yeah. For some of these people. Sorry, continue. What do you mean? You you like you you don't like that you feel sympathy for them or you wish you had more sympathy? I wish I had more sympathy. I wish I had more sympathy because I struggle with, again, sticking with this. I believe that they are people first and all people deserve love and all this stuff. But like I said, like with this last victim where it's like he was a known pedophile you know, and I'm I'm just like God. I hate that. I really can't. Pedoph- pedophilia is a hard one for me as well. Yeah. But Yeah. I mean, and I and I think it's one of those things that. Um. How do I say it? I think it's one of those things that, like, it's easy to. Maybe tap into your empathy until it hits closer to home. Like, if you were to mm-hmm. ask the victims of these families. Right. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, fuck that guy. Right. 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 Because it's so it's so personal at that point. Yeah. But it's hard. I mean, I I think that a lot of people don't have empathy for the people in society who do these awful things, especially when it comes Mm -hmm. to children. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. why there's a hierarchy even in prison, like even murderers, convicted murderers are like fuck that dude he's a he's a child killer or he's a a, a yeah pedophile and they'll kill him jeffrey dahmer was killed by a man in prison who was like gross i mean i know i know it's i'll digress but like i said the these this story in particular there's just it's hitting a lot of like "Ah, i hate that guy and i hate this guy that he killed as well like i don't like that guy either yeah yeah so, like I said, once in the trailer, Dominique attacked Randolph and killed him and dumped his body. And Randolph's remains were found partially partially nude. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just under two weeks later, so two weeks after killing Kenneth Randolph Jr., Dominique mm-hmm. murdered again. Okay. On October twelfth, two 2002, in the late evening. And this one is really sad to me. I mean, they're all really sad, but... Mm-hmm. Some of the victims' families shared more than other victims' families. And so mm-hmm. I think you have a little bit more of a personal connection with the ones that give you background. Right. But this victim was 26 year old Anoka Jones. Jones was minding his own fucking business, riding his bicycle home when he was approached by Dominique. Mm-hmm. Dominique made him a proposition, a proposition that was financial in nature. So when Jones got home, he put his bicycle inside the house and his girlfriend was home. And he shared with his girlfriend that he was going to hang with some friends. And she didn't really think anything of it. This was the last time she saw Anoka. After Anoka Jones left, he went with Dominique. Dominique brutally attacked him, raped him, and killed him. Jones's body was discovered several hours later under an overpass. So this is one of the victims, like a lot of the victims, that regarded themselves as a a heterosexual male. Uh And Dominique could read that. He could kind of read if, if these men were homosexual, maybe bisexual, heterosexual. And so he would change it up depending on what this individual needed so it's the most predatory mind that you can think of yeah yes so jones was the first victim of terrebonne parish so this is now the fourth parish in which dominique had murdered and disposed of the bodies and so it's it's complicated right because there are so many different parishes involved in sharing Mm -hmm. information Mm mm-hmm Dominique, you know, this guy tended to prey on individuals that struggled with addiction because it would make them more vulnerable. Right. Right. So he didn't go after these strapping, stable guys um, because, as we know, like addiction really eats away at you. It it affects your state of mind, your decision making. Mm -hmm. Most of Dominique's victims were homeless. Many of them were sex workers struggling with substance abuse issues in other words, he went after men he felt society wouldn't miss. See, and that, I, I'm that it just it bothers me because, like I said, at my core, I truly believe that all people, all people, regardless of what your mistakes are, what your habits are, I just feel like people should be loved and cared for, and it just it just bothers me that these people are already in a vulnerable state right like they're already sure not loved they're you know they're disregarded from society and then having somebody come in i'm like what a coward you know like mm-hmm. picking them off absolutely God, it, just, it just bothers me and dominique would also frequent like gay bars around the Homa area and so this is we're kind of getting into his mo and we've i left it at this point because We could see the M.O. building in the first Mm -hmm. part, and now we're going to really like hone in on that. And so he would frequent these bars. He would spark up conversations with other patrons of the bar, and he would be able—he learned how to target these men. He would target men he thought who would be willing to have sex for money— or mm-hmm. he would lure straight men by setting up fake drug deals. So if he knew that they recreationally or habitually right. used drugs. After Dominique's arrest, he also admitted, and, and he used this a lot as he progressed in his MO, is he would show these men a picture of a woman. Right. And mm-hmm. he would tell them that he was willing to pay to watch them engage in sex. So he'd go up to these guys and be like, hey, you see this woman? Sometimes he'd be like, it's my wife, even though he didn't have one. Or it would just be like somebody that he knew who was like kinky and out for a good time. And these guys were like, hell yeah, fuck yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, And so before killing them, Dominique had, he would, reportedly he would bring them home. And he had the intention of raping and murdering them. That was his Mm -hmm. intention. Mm -hmm. And it's important to note because we've hopefully you guys have Googled Ronald Dominique's picture by this point. And some people are going to be like, how did this man overpower these other men? (laughs) I, I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, seriously. Yeah. So in in order for Dominique to overpower these men and for for them to go willingly, he must have been presented as an unassuming, non-threatening guy, he was overweight, and he was seemingly pretty unhealthy. By the time his arrest came around, he used like um, a cane to help him walk. Like he just, he was not healthy. He was very, very overweight. And on one of the one of the documentaries that I was watching, Michael Glasser, who was a, a part of the Kenner Police Department, he was even quoted as saying. He he wasn't scary. He wouldn't scare anyone. I was kind of taken aback by someone who looked like he did, would be capable of committing all of these offenses that he was accused of. He was the most unthreatening individual I could think of. And I think Dominique used that and weaponized that. Right. As an advantage for him against these other men. He seems inoffensive, right? Non-threatening, even meek by many reports from people who knew him, adding that he was just like this normal Joe, this ordinary guy. And and a lot of people even said he was a pretty friendly guy. You know, like he liked helping people. So there's like a super Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with this one. Like there is with oh, all God. of them, right? Yeah. So Dominique's behaviors and the image he projected – to people is not surprising he was behaving as a sexual predator who wanted to continue exploiting the trust of vulnerable men period Mm -hmm. right and something you said earlier Chelsea, that was interesting about i don't remember exactly what you said but it was about like connection and we were talking a little bit about intimacy according to criminologist brian frederick the only way Dominique could feel intimate with someone else was by, quote, holding them at gunpoint, tying them up, and then forcing himself on them, end quote. Like, this guy didn't... I could think of a couple of different ways that you could maybe, perchance, feel some intimacy, dude. Come on. Well, sure. I mean, I'm not saying that... Like, I think that this criminologist... Yeah, I was just saying, like... In Dominic's brain, that's how he—I don't know—filled his cup of of what yeah. connection, power, right. self-esteem. I mean, whatever the fuck, you know. Most people like get their hair cut. You know what I mean? Yeah. And most people like go to the fucking gym. You know, or get on Happy some medication. Hour. Happy yeah. yeah. Talk to so- a therapist to create a connection i don't i know and it's so easy we talk about this all the time it's so easy for us to be like oh well what you could do what i would do and i think it's because we there's just an element that we don't you don't get if you're not a sociopath if you're not a psychopath yeah if you have a normal functioning brain Uh you just don't get it and to them that might have been what he thought was his only option for yeah, some somehow, weird twisted way. Yep. Yep. For sure. So as I mentioned before, after Dominique bribed these unsuspecting victims to his home, he would attempt to tie them up. So tying them up was a huge part of his MO. I personally think it's about it's about power and also he wouldn't have been able to overpower them if they were not tied up. Yeah. So I think it was a necessity for him to go from right. point A to point B. So what's really interesting about this is when some of those men refused to allow themselves to be tied up, Dominique would just let them go. He'd let them go. Even at times releasing, like, some of these victims, not the the murder victims, but these other men that he lured to, you know, his trailer. If they're like, fuck no, dude, you can't tie me up, he would let them go. Isn't that the weirdest thing? I mean, I'm glad he did, but it's so right. weird.
1: Uh, so I'm you know,
0: like, I think I'm, we're probably going to be like processing this whole thing, unpacking this whole thing. For days and weeks to come. Because I'm just yeah. like, what? Yeah. What? I think. I I think that Dominique actually didn't like confrontation. And I know that sounds silly to say because he was such a horrifically, brutally driven serial killer that killed 23 people. But I think, like, if I were to walk up to Dominique and I'd be like, you're a bitch, I don't think that he would engage. I think that he would hang his head and I think that he would be like. Yeah, you're right. Like, oh, I'm a yeah. piece of shit. I don't think he liked confrontation. That's why he used these ruses, right. tied them up, and then they couldn't confront him. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree on that one. You know, it's kind of like, what is your definition of a monster, right? Like, it could be a aggressive, hostile, or it could also be equally monstrous and equally scary, but in a very passive aggressive right right like manipulative you know is physical abuse or mental abuse worse you know what i mean like right i think mm-hmm. they're both horrific except mental doesn't leave you know physical bruises on you but they're both right. abuse and so which one are you playing with and i think right. he was that ladder where it's like like you said as long he was a path of least resistance Yes. Yes. I yes. hate those guys. I, I just hate. Ugh, ugh. I, hate know, I know. And so after killing these men, as we've heard in, in in a lot of the victims we've covered, Dominique would dump their bodies in sugarcane fields, ditches, small bayous in the in the southeast Louisiana region. And uh, And at this point, he has dumped the victims in four different parishes. And then we'll find out. Victims were found in St. Charles Parish, Lafourche Parish, Jefferson Parish, Terrebonne Parish, Assumption Parish, and Iberville Parish. You know, kind of thinking really quick on your description of Ron and the fact that he was very unhealthy, because I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, I've tried to pick up a toddler who was resisting to, like, quote-unquote dead weight. And I'm not saying that morbidly, but I mean, like, when they are not wanting to be picked up, right? If they're just resisting being picked up, that is so challenging. So I'm like, how would this guy, you know, physically dump these bodies? And part of me wonders, like, I bet he would just, like, kick them out of his car, right? Or, like, that's probably why they were literally just dumped, because he probably didn't, he wasn't physical enough he didn't to... have the capabilities to hide them. Right. To drag them, to dig. I don't think that he had the stamina. Just, do you know how long it takes to stand around and dig a hole big enough to potentially bury, you know, a body? That's uh, a lot of digging. And it's that's a like lot like, I, of digging. like, anytime I would have to, like, you know, dig a hole for a tree, I'm like, shit, you know, I've been doing this for four seconds or 12 seconds. My arms are <gasps> aching out right. and, and that was whenever I was in. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Continue. I don't feel I bad for him anymore. I'm not saying poor Ron anymore. I know. I hate that guy. So obviously Dominique was, so he was considered an organized killer with sexual motivations for abductions, rapes, and murders, right? Given the high toll, the high victim toll, it appears that Dominique also just enjoyed having power over other people mm-hmm. and over another male. Mm-hmm. And and what I put in here, this is not substantiated. I'm not a criminologist, but I think in his mind, he was getting back at the same group of men that rejected him. Oh, right. So I think it's I think it's two part. I think some of it is you know like the psychology is that like these men who some a lot of them were a part of the LGBTQ kind of community who laughed at me and ostracized me. But I also mm-hmm. think that it's a Venn diagram, right? And right. they were also the the kind of outcasts of their society as well because they had criminal charges or right. or addiction. Not all of them, but some of right. them did. Right. 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 Yes, that does make sense. That's a good point. So in 2002, Dominique moved from Thibodeau, Louisiana to the Bayou Blue area of Houma. which is in that's now in Terrebonne Terrebonne Parish in Mm -hmm. southeastern Louisiana, and it's about 16 miles from Thibodeau. So it wasn't a huge geographical relocation. Okay. On February 10th of that year in 2002, Dominique was arrested after he assaulted a woman at a Mardi Gras parade. Hmm. He there apparently that There was this thing that transpired. He got mad and he slapped her. So he had to enter a parish offenders program to avoid standing trial, of course, because he wants to stay under the radar. Mm -hmm. And he completed that program in October of 2002. Mind you, this is the second offense of a similar situation because just two years earlier in 2000, He had another altercation with a woman and was arrested for disturbing the peace. So he had been arrested at this point in 2002 twice for, you know, charges totally unrelated to the other horrible shit that he was doing. Right. Right. And at that one, he just had to pay a fine and go on his way. So remember, this guy had a lot of run ins with the law, but somehow they just never stuck. Isn't that don't you? How many times have we heard this? Mm Yeah. Yeah. It's yes. just like these guys somehow kept falling through the fucking cracks, man. I'm telling you, we need a we need a DNA data bank. So the bodies, the body count kept rising in Southeast Louisiana, 1997 to 2006, year after year, you know, month after month, year after year, there were more bodies and more bodies and more bodies. The victims had all been asphyxiated or strangled, and some of them and most of them had been raped, and a lot of them were barefooted. And so, remember that kind of urban legend that I was talking about with the shootless killer? Right, right, At this point, Dominique's last murder was in October, his last murder at least for this year. The other thing I wanted to say is, what the fuck is with October? Have you noticed how many times we've talked about October? Yeah. And one of my thoughts is like this dude I literally wrote this dude must have had mad seasonal depression. You know okay I was wondering that on like I don't think bipolar you know obviously you can't I mean you can't diagnose you can't like but I'm like why why did it have like such clustered activity within like down where I'm like, was it a manic? Was it a depressive type of state, you know? And I don't know enough about this. I know you are more well-versed in things like that, but I kind of was thinking the same thing where I'm like, why are we seeing this latent period, like those uppers and downers type Mm -hmm. of period? Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what that could all mean. But I just I just remember I I had typed out October so many times it stood out to me. And I was like, what mm-hmm. is it with October, mm-hmm. October, November? Mm-hmm. And then there's a gap and it's probably the holiday gap. And then it goes back to like January and then it's May. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe one of the things is if you guys have ever been to South Louisiana or South Mississippi during the summer, it's fucking miserable. Oh, oh you can't do I'm, I'm sorry, but you do not live your best life It is too those hot to do anything. I, I mean, it really... And it's like hot at 5 o'clock in the morning type of hot. Hot at midnight. Like it yeah. is 24 hours of unrelenting hot. Yeah. And so I just wonder if, you know, with the cooler weather, because yeah, October is when it starts true. to cool down a mm-hmm. little bit. I mean, not significantly, but it, it gets a little bit more bearable. Right. <clears throat> I wonder if that was just if on on both sides of the fence. If if he got out more, and if the victims were, if people were getting out more, right, that's instead true. of like yeah. hunkering down in like a shelter or, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. So now we're in the year two thousand three. So seven months after the murder of Anoka Jones in two thousand two, Dominique would find his. We are on victim number thirteen. And this was 19-year-old Daytrell Woods. So on May 24, 2003, Woods' body was discovered in a reed field next to his bicycle. What's interesting is when police were investigating the murder scene, they noticed that Woods did not have any dirt on his feet and his bike tires were fairly clean. This indicated to them that it was probably like a dump job. But what is so frustrating to me is, despite this, Woods' death was initially recorded or filed as asphyxiation due to Woods having asthma. Go home. Whatever. It was (sighs) not until Dominique's arrest and his confession where the truth was revealed about the death of Détra Woods. Right. I mean, guys, come on. Like, you have had how many bodies in neighboring parishes? You know what I like? This is not like, oh, and then all of a sudden we found a body in South Carolina. What's up with that? Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Come on. No shoes. African-American male. hmm. Uh, OK. Well, I mean, I wrote because of what I just said, I I feel Many of these victims who are mostly black men were treated as junkies, petty criminals, or sex workers, and were likely not given the same attention as other victims of ethnic or societal differences, right? Yeah. So if we, and that's that's another reason why I think this whole thing pisses me off, because let's look at Ted Bundy, right? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. he killed probably close to the same amount. I can never remember Like, Mm -hmm. the actual number. But -hmm. those were all, like, white pretty girls in the 70s and 80s, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about black men in South Louisiana Mm -hmm. in the late 90s, early 2000s, that most of them, not not even all of them, but most of them had a history with addiction. They had petty criminal charges on their records. And they had turned to sex work for survival. Right. You know? And... (sighs) I just I think that that is the reason um, I read somewhere and I can't I should have written it down and I apologize for not doing it. But I read somewhere that someone that there was a journalist who was starting to track this and he was in one of the parishes Uh and they and he offered to like a national coverage provider. And they're like, yeah, we're not interested. Like, that's not like nationwide gripping news because yeah, it's who not meeting. it's not meeting our narrative right like it's, yeah it's not the narrative that we want to present right and i'm telling you that is where i struggle with so much of this and i've said it i think three or four times already where i'm like guys if you do not view people as every person is a person of value no matter what your race your identity like you are a person first who should be valued and then all those things come after that and i i just i that i just it in it is infuriating to me like you said or it's like yeah that that doesn't fit our narrative we don't really care to cover these junky african-american males yeah. you know sex workers i i just i, I that really it just bothers me yeah uh, for sure, and like you know, when I was watching again a lot of these documentaries, they interview some of the victims' family members, mm-hmm. and I mean, they carried themselves better than I think I would have. And they're just like, you know, how would you feel if your son was depicted a certain way in the news in the narrative? And they're like and they didn't like some of the news stories were saying like, oh, a gay black man was found murdered. And it was like and his family would be like, he wasn't even gay. You know what I mean? Like he. He wasn't even like he had he was married, he had children. And And so it was just and I saw that a lot. I mean, I saw in, in my research, it was a lot of and I think half of it is to report. Again, going back to the M.O., it kind of needs to be identified. Mm -hmm. But some of the reporting was very much just kind of like a labeling. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're okay with sensational news. As long as it's on their terms, like they're okay with right. reporting it as that and putting that as the headline if it increases their sales, but actually spending time and in like investigating and presenting this on a nationwide, you know, to get everybody involved and in what the heck right. is going on. Yeah, it just it's disgusting to me, but you I'll know. digress again., <clears throat> so now we're we're getting into two thousand and four. In October, once again, in October of 2004, Dominique crossed paths with 46-year-old Larry Matthews. And for this one, he lured him to his trailer by using the promise of them doing drugs. And a lot of the reports that I read is that Dominique would engage in using drugs, like he would like do cocaine and, and some things. I don't know if he was an addict himself or if that was just part of his M.O. of getting these victims. I, I don't know. And there wasn't a lot of information about that. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, Matthews agreed to this. And and kind of a, a twist here is Matthews ended up overdosing when they were doing drugs in the trailer. And did that stop Dominique? No. Dominique, so Matthew's overdosed. He was unconscious. Dominique proceeds to brutally rape him while he's overdosed Uh and then strangles him to death. So once he was done, he dumped Matthew's body 20 miles away from his trailer. It took a little bit longer for Matthew to be identified because, and this just fucking breaks my heart. Like, you know I have a soft spot for addiction, Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I love, I just love working with um, people who struggle with addiction. Um, But it took longer for them to find his body because he had been reported, he had, nobody had reported him missing because he was homeless and was a quote unquote drug addict. And, and I don't mean that as, I mean, he was so far in his addiction that he had probably severed bridges with his families by this point. Right. And so it wasn't unusual for him to be gone for days, weeks, months at a time. Yeah. His identity would later be determined through fingerprints. And Dominique, unfortunately, bounced back quickly from this one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because again, within that same month, this is where Dominique found his first white victim. So all of them to this point had been black men. And now this was a white man. And it was 21-year-old Michael Barnett, whose body was found on October 24th, 2004. Similar M.O., dumped him. And I I couldn't find a lot of information. Like I said, some of the victims I could find a lot of information about, and some of them, they literally just gave me an an age and a name. Right, right. So now we're getting into 2005. So finally finally in march of 2005 a task force was created due to the likelihood that a serial killer was active okay what is 97 to 2005 seven years eight years what is 1997 to 2005 yeah eight years yeah just shy of a decade and I put in all caps, I mean, yeah, by this point, Dominique has collected 15 victims. So 15 victims in, and they're like, you know, guys, we should probably start a task force to figure this shit out. Mm-hmm. I also read at some point that, like, the, because I don't really know how this stuff works, but the, the, that there were parish, uh, sheriff departments from different parishes that had requested, mm-hmm additional Mm -hmm. funding for this, but the state had declined it. So I don't want to like, I don't want to finger point at the actual investigators in these cases because they had to walk through just as much red tape. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so that's, that again is the reality of a lot of stuff, right? Where it's like, why don't we make changes? Why don't we implement, um, you know, laws or changes or protocols? And again, it requires time, and more than that, it requires money, right? Louisiana is not really known for being the richest state in right. the continental U.S. Well, and I also think, like, on this note, I believe that investigators get into this because they have a passion, right? hmm mm-hmm. And are there good and bad ones? Yes, like anybody in any niche of anything but Mm -hmm. it also probably looks pretty fucking bad to the state of louisiana to have this white guy going around collecting black victims absolutely right that is not a good narrative to have for the tourism industry in southeast louisiana that's outside of new orleans which is what keeps that area alive like that truly is their bread and butter correct so i think that a lot of times Like, it's easy to blame investigators because we have a face, Mm -hmm. but we forget that there are so many, there's so much bureaucratic minutiae on so many different levels that it's easier to find blame with a face than with this unidentified, you know, entity that's behind the curtains, the Wizard of Oz, right? Correct. So, this task force was made up of Louisiana State Police, the FBI, so they had finally invited the FBI in, mm-hmm. and nine of the South Louisiana Parish Sheriff Offices to investigate the murders amongst the parishes. Captain Don Ferret with the Terrebonne Parish Sheriff's Office and Captain David Thornton with the Jefferson D parish count sheriff's office. Man, that's a tongue twister. Mm-hmm. They were all part of this task force and they were two key players in the investigation and eventual arrests of Dominique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The task force was informed that the victims were homeless men looking for sex work and drug abuse. Mm-hmm. So, same thing. I think we've kind of argued our point on that. right? The next month, which is now March of 2005, while the task force was hard at work, working across parish lines and trying to identify this urban legend of the shoeless killer, yet another victim was claimed by Dominique. And this was 22-year-old Leon Lorette in February of 2005. Okay. He was literally reported in articles as, quote-unquote, an alcoholic vagrant. And that's what I mean. It's like... Ah. Uh, so... It's it's so interesting because this area around the Homa area is not too big. A lot of people know each other. This is another overlap of victims that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Lorette had previously lived with two of the other victims, Michael hmm. Barnett and Anoka Jones. Lorette oh. was yeah. Lorette was even considered a suspect in Jones's murder as he was the last person to see him prior to Jones's disappearance huh, isn't that crazy? That really is. I Like, and I wonder, like, I wonder if Dominique knew this. You know, like, part of me is like, this guy can't be that smart, but at the same time, like, I yeah. don't know. I think he was just, you know, it, it was a smaller, you know, it wasn't like he was in Louisiana, like in New Orleans. New Orleans, yeah, that's true. Right, where there's lots of people coming and going and it's a big tourist attraction. It's a little bit more of a a rural community. And it's a smaller community within a small community. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Two months after Lorette's murder, 31-year-old August Watkins was murdered by Ronald Dominique. Ugh can i just also say that i really love the name august i just think that is the coolest i don't know there's Mm -hmm. something about that name i'm just like i really love the name august yeah um so one thing I put in here is Dominique had become a master at this point of identifying the chink in the armor of these men, right? The the weak part of the armor, whether mm-hmm. it be sex, drugs, or money, Dominique changed it up depending on what that person was struggling with. Right. And the reports were that August was, he had found August because he was out working jobs to, you know, for money. Mm-hmm. Dominique used Watkins' weakness of, of needing money to lure him to his truck and offer to give him a warm place to sleep. And, again, a chance to have sex with a supposed female acquaintance. Watkins agreed. Same as the many victims before, Watkins was tied up, raped, and strangled to death. Mm-hmm. His body was dumped somewhere in a desolate place around Kenner, Louisiana. Okay. And it was the discovery of Watkins's body that police began to consider for the first time that a serial killer was active in Kenner and Homa. Now remember this is all over the different parishes, right? But at, for some reason at this point with the death of August Watkins, that's when things started to click for click for investigators. Right. These victims were most of the same ethnicity and socioeconomic status, and the M.O. was too similar not to see. It was at this point, after 17 victims, the case was handed over to the FBI. Yeah. Well, and two, I think you also kind of made a good point when you were talking about, you know, there's a lot of things at play. You have to also remember, like, a police force, they're not just dealing with People being dumped on the side of the road, right? They're dealing right. with all sorts of homicides, domestic violence, domestic violence arrests. Dro- yeah. yeah, you know what I mean, like. And again, I don't know. It would be interesting to see to see what the stats are in that area. But if it is a high crime area, you know, like, and I don't know that. I'm just I'm just thinking like there sometimes... there definitely was a lot of drugs in these areas. Correct. So for, you know, looking at an isolated story, if you will, so like this being an isolated case, you have to remember that there's a whole other, you know, everything else is also on top of that. Like they're like you said, domestic violence, drug crimes, all happening all at once. So it might not be as easy as we think to be to say, oh. Oh, I think there's a pattern here, you know. Well, you know, 30,000 foot perspective gives you bigger pieces of the puzzle than focusing on one piece of it at a time. Right. Correct. So despite the FBI's recent involvement, just days after murdering August Watkins, um, Dominique found another victim. And that was 23 year old Kurt Cunningham. Okay. Cunningham was lured, raped and murdered, and dumped like the other victims before him. Three and three and four months later, so three months later in July, four months later in August of that same year, Dominique murdered twenty-eight-year-old Alonzo Hogan in Saint excuse me, Saint Charles Parish. Mm-hmm. And seventeen-year-old Wayne Smith in Terrebonne Parish, respectively. Mm-hmm. So even just a month apart, he told he went to different parishes. Both of these men were lured by Dominique using his ruse of having sex with a female. These two murders were a little different from the many of the other victims because these men did not have any prior criminal charges or convictions, and they were not drug users. Hmm. So Hogan and Smith were victims numbered 19 and 20. Okay. Now, we have gotten to August of 2005, and then I put in here, do you remember what significant thing happened in August of 2005 in the southeast Louisiana and Mississippi region? Oh, yeah, that's Hurricane Katrina. Yep. Yeah, August what? August 29th? August night 2005. So fun fact, Chelsea and I we lost everything in Katrina. So Katrina was a huge um it was a kind of a pivotal moment if you will. It was more so for you. I had already moved out. I was about to start hygiene school. So I was 20 yeah. 21 something like that, but you were what, 5 days into your senior year of high school. Yeah. Yeah, so Katrina's a bitch. Not my friend Katrina, I love you. I hope you're listening. But Hurricane Katrina was a bitch. So Mm -hmm. did this stop Dominique? Not even fucking slightly. In fact, 2005 would prove to be Dominique's deadliest year to date with a total of seven victims. So a third of all of his victims were killed in 2005 alone. In September, so just, what, Days, yeah. weeks after yeah. Hurricane Katrina, Dominique was, and I wrote this, driving his shitty little black fucking pickup truck when he came across a forty-year-old hitchhiker named Chris Deville. Chris was trying to hitchhike out of Napoleonville following Hurricane Katrina, right? So this guy was not—he wasn't—he wasn't a an outcast in society. This guy was literally probably trying to. F- locate relocate after katrina yeah and dominique comes driving up sees him offers him a ride right after brutally attacking raping and strangling deville dominique dumped his body in a reed field and what is so sad about this is it took about a month for his body to be found and by that point rodents and birds had eaten his body and it was just skeletal remains golly deville's wallet and id were found near his body so that gave them an idea and so they were able to verify his identity by dental records according to an article in homa today by robert zullo and matthew pleasant later on at the trial deville's sister was quoted as saying the nature of what he did and how he left my brother's body in a cane field for rodents to eat at him. He left us with nothing, nothing. We had to bury bones. It's just complete disregard and yeah. I hate it. In late November of 2005, so just the next month, Dominique killed 21-year-old Nicholas Pellegrin in Lafouche Parish. Dominique had spotted Pellegrin doing some work and asked him if he'd be interested in doing some odd jobs for Dominique for money. Nick had told him that he was in the middle of a job, but to check back with him in a few hours. So Dominique does. He waits hours, comes back. So later that day he returned after Pellegrin had finished his job. Pellegrin's family never heard from him again. Dominique raped and murdered Pellegrin and dumped his body in a desolate location. Pellegrin left behind a loving family, like many of the other victims, and a four-year-old son. Mm. Doesn't this just make you sick? It really. I like it. It's ugh, it really does. They're not good words. I don't yeah. have good words for it. Yeah, I don't. And that's kind of what I'm talking about on this on the conflict on the conflict of He's still a person. He still is, you know, deserving of love and respect. Like, it is really hard. It is really, really, really hard. Well, I was debating when I was writing this episode up. I just, like, I was getting so tired of writing, like, raped, strangled, Mm -hmm. murdered, dumped. And I was like, this is going to be too much for people. And then I said, you know what? I'm not leaving a victim out. no yeah Uh, like i'm not i'm not gonna leave one out and so y'all are just like if this is what if you want to listen to this then you have to you have to hear it all you know what Mm -hmm. i mean yeah so in the summer of so now we're getting into 2006 in the summer of 2006 dominique would find his last victim 27 year old christopher sutterfield it was reported that sutterfield knew dominique since the summer of 2006 and that they went on a few dates. I don't know how much of that is true, but that was mm-hmm. a couple of reports. Mm-hmm. On October, once again, October 14th, while on a date together, reportedly, in Iberville Parish, Dominique hit Sutterfield on the head and ended up killing him. I could not find any other details about his death, but he was later found dumped similar to the other victims. Okay. So that was victim number 23. Okay. Okay. Fortunately, at almost 10 years after his first murder in 2000, so in 2006, almost 10 years later, Mm -hmm. one of the men that Ronald Dominique had allowed to go free, remember I said that he would sometimes invite people and they would say no and then he'd let them go? One of these men was a man named Ricky Wallace, and he's the only known survivor, really, of of this serial Mm -hmm. killer. Mm-hmm. And arguably, he is the reason that Dominique is behind bars. Good job, Ricky. Good yeah. job. So Ricky, again, kind of down on his luck. He was living in a homeless shelter. He was on parole. And and I bring that up for a very specific reason that I'll get to. So get this shit. So according to Wallace, Dominique had... So Wallace was walking down the road one day, and he was approached by a black GMC Sonoma, his stupid, shitty black pickup trucks. Um, He was approached by Dominique. Wallace reports that Dominique showed him a picture of a woman. Now, this right here is another thing that really fucking pisses me off. It was also identified in a lot of the documentaries and reports that I've read that dominique would sometimes use picture of women he knew okay and so one in in this specific encounter he used a picture of his niece no and not oh. only that not only that but i also learned that adding to his ruse dominique would present this proposition but also add that the woman had a history of sexual abuse and she was the victim of domestic violence and was afraid of men and that's why he would have to tie the men up you know what so we talked about Armin, and how i was like i am so glad that he gets an hour of sunshine a day that they get to walk him out right like our first podcast talking about Armin. you know what ronald i hope you don't get any sunshine Mm -hmm. i hope you get no sunshine yep so this man i know so this man wallace again was walking down the street minding his own fucking business just trying to do life and he gets approached by dominique holding a picture of his fucking niece saying hey and and he would oftentimes also say like It would be a white woman in the picture and he would say she wants to have sex with a black man. So like that was part like he just crosses all of these boundaries. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, Wallace, I guess, who maybe initially was like, shit, it's my lucky day. Yeah. I want to like have sex with a woman for, you know, whatever. So he gets in the vehicle with Dominique and drove back to Dominique's trailer. Wallace said that he was told by Dominique that the woman wanted to be tied up, right? Um, But he, would so whenever Wallace stepped into the trailer, it was like his spidey senses kicked in, so he noticed Uh gay porn magazines all over. Uh Uh-huh. And Dominique was like, oh, like, you're going to have to be tied up. And Wallace was like, fuck that. I'm not doing that and walked out now two different reports on the same incidents. instance one says that he walked out and just left and Mm -hmm. dominique just let him go another one said that he told dominique no i'm not doing that and you need to take me back to where you picked me up and dominique did so i don't know which one right but again he he walked in there and saw this stuff because Like, no offense if you have gay porn magazines, that's not the point, but obviously that ruined the ruse because this guy, he, he, something in his head clicked, Wallace, and he was like, this is for me. This is not for me to have sex with a woman. You get what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Right. And so he was just like, oh, shit. And his brain clicked. His spidey senses kicked in. He was like, hell no. So... Dominique did nothing to stop him. So Wallace, putting this incident together, and he had also known one of the victims before, like, again, mm-hmm. overlap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had this on his mind, and by happen, happenstance, his parole officer was like, do you know anything about, like, what's been oh, going on? about what's been going on, yeah. And Wallace, right, because, again, through the grapevine, there was this urban legend with the shoeless killer... He knew one of the victims. I don't know Mm -hmm. super intimately if he knew him, but he knew of him. Right. And then this weird situation about this fucking weird ass dude in a shitty black truck was like, hey. Yeah. And so he put this together and he reported it to his PO. Good job, Ricky. Yeah. So Wallace, so the PO reported it to investigators, and Wallace was even able to remember where the trailer was, which was on Bayou Blue Road in in Homa. So I put shout out to this parole officer because they actually did something about it.
1: Right? Yes,
0: yes. Like good job that you know his that Ricky was like, hey, this this happened. This yeah. is wrong. And he was like, oh shit, we need to notify. um, yeah. You know, I can't remember what parish I'm in because they're all kind of running together, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. Police did not have a warrant at that point to search his trailer, but they had Ricky Wallace show them where his trailer was. Mm-hmm. And at this point, reports were that Dominique had split to a homeless shelter in Homa. And later, he would say, like he knew that an arrest was coming, right? Like mm-hmm. it, he could feel it starting to change. Right. So they didn't have a warrant, so they couldn't search his home. But they walked their asses across the street in front of that trailer, opened the fucking mailbox and found mail with Ronald, Joseph, Dominique on it. And Hmm. that was their first solid lead in this case. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really amazing what that man was able to do, what Wallace was able to do. Because like I said before, thanks to him, I think that is really what brought Dominique in finally. Now he had not he had not had a previous encounter No with Dominique, correct? N- from not from yeah, from my understanding, no. He But he, he just knew... knew some of the victims. Yeah. And okay. That was the rumor mill and then paired with what his experience was or almost was, right? Mm-hmm. That's what put the things together in his brain and he told his parole officer. Hmm. Man. Yeah. And good for that guy for not, you know, I don't know, not because I, I, okay, I feel like sometimes as humans, we're like, well, we don't want to judge. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to judge people. We don't want to assume the worst of somebody. Like, good for him for being like, nah, no, this, there's something wrong. There, yeah. This dude's not right. I, yeah. I'm i sorry about you. Don't really care. And he spoke up. hmm Good for him. Okay. So kind of the final stretch. Maybe the moment we've all waited for. After evading authorities and identification for nearly a decade, investigators were finally able to hone in on Dominique. Ronald Dominique was finally arrested on December 1st, 2006, on a Jefferson Parish warrant after DNA evidence linked him to that murder in Tarenbone Parish. Mm. Okay. At this time, Dominique was staying at a homeless shelter in Homa. And that's where they picked him up and that's where they found him. Cuz remember I said he was staying at a trailer on his sister's property. He right. split to the homeless shelter. Uh, his report was that he didn't want to bring chaos to his family. How fucking considerate. Okay. Okay, Ronald. So when he was brought in for questioning and asked for a sample of his DNA, in order to save face, Dominique was like, sure, yeah, absolutely, and turned it over willingly. Did he maybe not think that they had any DNA evidence? Maybe. Maybe he was cocky and thought that they didn't have anything because he was very careful. Um, maybe he but was ready to be caught, you think? Maybe deep down he was ready to be caught. I don't know. And
1: mm-hmm. not
0: necessarily for remorse, but maybe just exhaustion, right? Yeah. So during the interrogation, Ronald Dominique confessed to several murders that occurred between July of 1997 and July of 2005. Offering information only the killer would have known. I'm not entirely sure what information that was specifically, but I think it was in regard to victims, how they were found, and the locations in which the bodies were found. Right. It would soon come to light that Ronald Dominique had admitted and followed through and carried out the murders of 23 men making him one of Louisiana's most prolific serial killers in history. Uh, Armed with DNA evidence, Louisiana prosecutors were able to charge Ronald Ronald Dominique first for the rape and murder of 19-year-old Manuel Reed on May 30th of 1999, who was Dominique's seventh victim. This, a second charge was the murder of the fourth victim, 27-year-old Oliver LeBanks, whose body was discovered on October 5th, 1998. Mm-hmm. Due to Dominique leaving DNA evidence on these two men, it fortunately set the stage for his demise. So not only did they now have Dominique's confession, but they had DNA tying him to these two murders. Mm-hmm. Dominique pled guilty to murdering eight men Michael Barnett, Kurt Cunningham, Chris DeVille, Alonzo Hogan, Leon Lorette, Nicholas Pellegrin, Wayne Smith, and August Watkins. Not surprisingly, he did plead guilty to first-degree murder in an attempt to avoid the death penalty. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you, Have we talked about this, but do you know that the U.S. is one of the few countries that still allows the death penalty? didn't know that yeah so it has been now you can serve life in prison but there are not very many countries that still act execute if you will yeah um, prescribe what's the word rule a in death penalty the, in favor of the death penalty mm-hmm it was, it was reported that Dominique's guilty pleas were reached after consulting with the families of the eight victims. So I think a lot of them probably wanted the death penalty, but potentially for information on the other victims and like a full confession, they settled with life in prison as a plea for pleading for... Uh, Pleading pleading guilty. Does that make sense? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, with or without the opportunity for parole. Without. Well. Without. Yeah. Yeah. And so on October twenty third, two thousand and eight, Ronald Joseph Dominique was sentenced to eight consecutive life sentences, which he is currently serving at the Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. Hmm. So where he still is to this day. So just as a recap, and I'm going to go through the victims again, because I think it's important. So in 1997, two victims, 19 year old David Mitchell and Gary Pierre, 20 year old Gary Pierre. Victim number three, 38-year-old Larry Ranson. Victim number four, Oliver LeBanks. Victim number five, Joseph Brown, 16 years old. Victim number six, 18-year-old Bruce Williams. Victim number seven, 21-year-old Manuel Reed. Victim number eight, 34-year-old Angel Mejia. Victim number nine, 34-year-old Mitchell Johnson. Victim number 10, 23-year-old Michael Vincent. Victim number 11, 20-year-old Kenneth Randolph. Victim number 12, 26-year-old Anoka Jones. Victim number 13, 19-year-old Detrell Woods. Victim 14, 46-year-old Larry Matthews. Victim 15, 21-year-old Michael Barnett. Victim 16, 22-year-old Leon Lorette. Victim 17, 31-year-old August Watkins. Victim 18, 23-year-old Kurt Cunningham. Victim 19, 28-year-old Alonzo Hogan. Victim 20, 17-year-old Wayne Smith. Victim 21, 40 year old Chris Deville. Victim 22, 21 year old Nicholas Pellegrin. Victim 23, 27 year old Christopher Sutterfeld. The 23 individuals who whose life was taken too soon by asshole Ronald Dominique, aka the Bayou Strangler. Now, have they, has he written any. Autobiographies, you know, has he does do? Do they conduct interviews with him? I
1: don't anything? know. Not but that,
0: has, ha- not that I've found. He's he's had. I didn't find any interviews or anything like that. Just some documentaries. Um,
1: like has, has he? Also-
0: has he? Has he said why? Has he ever? Was there any information as to exactly what was going on? Has he ever made any comments? I don't think so. All I found was that Dominique, during his confessions, for just about every one of the victims, it was essentially, I felt in danger for my life. And it was kind of like self-defense. And so I strangled them and I dumped their bodies because I was scared. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <sighs> so I will attach a picture of the 23 victims, of t- the d- Ronald Dominique's victims. And I will also attach a picture of Ronald Dominique for, I don't know, for... So you can look at him and know how easy it would be, I suppose, in my brain, how easy it would be to not to be able to look at this guy and be like, "Oh, totally safe, totally fine." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He wasn't a one-eyed, one-horned, flying, purple people eater. Purple. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? So these guys <sighs> were just like, "Oh, this dude who's." Kind of not in good shape. Kind of short and squatty. You know? Nice. You know, not literally nice, but... Right. Posing that way. Like, I get it that it's a redundant and rhetorical question, but I, I just always... I just always have to think, like... Were they going against their better judgment and obviously that's not something you can ask but i feel like that's something that you hear a lot kind of with um ricky how he was like yeah there just was something wrong like this Mm -hmm. was just because we've all been around people where it's like you know i don't know what it is this it just doesn't really seem right you know, or because like their gut was telling them right, right that there was danger. I think a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, I don't think that men in our society are are really taught that as much as women are. That's true, right? Because I remember mom having a conversation with me when I was, I don't know, twelve, thirteen, and she was like, "If you ever get attacked in public," Just go dead weight. Just totally give out and start screaming. And if they threaten that they're going to kill you and your family, they're probably going to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. So just attract as much tension as you can and don't get in any vehicles. Like die mm-hmm. before you get there because you're going to die anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember her having that conversation. And then the other thing is, you know, we have to remember that some of these victims, I, I don't have a number, but some of them were actively engaged in drug use. And that shuts down right. your frontal lobe. Right. And so it shuts down some of your ability to really tap into picking up data subconsciously and mm-hmm. saying, hmm, this is right. probably not a good situation. Right. Or they were desperate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, their need to fulfill whatever it was—money for more, or Drugs, a nice, or a, and a chance to stay in a in a safe home for a night—like yeah, exactly, like ones. whatever, whatever it was, superseded any other red flags that might have been there. You know, and I yeah. think that's that would that's a good. I would I would kind of love to hear. Um, you know, almost like open up a forum and just how common is that in your household as far as do you, like in our household growing up, it was always like, listen to your gut, you know, mm-hmm. listen to your instinct. Like we, bo- we both come from parents, both of our parents who were very in tune with the world around them. Yeah. And I, we just I just remember talking a lot about this idea this phenomena of like i don't know you got to listen to your gut you got to listen to your instincts you got to pay attention pick up on the social cues like have an eye for that and like i said i don't know that would be interesting for me to to find out is that a normal thing in a lot of households you know do a lot of people talk about intuition and you know viewing people through a more detailed lens if that makes sense yeah totally so it would be interesting you guys send us an email you know post some comments and see what you think about that and i know that that was a heavy case and ronald dominique is a teenage dirtbag he really is. I there's really not. Like I said, I think I've said it a handful of times. Like they're really just not adequate words. It just it's just make it just makes you mad on a bunch of different levels. But honestly, I love I love that we are in a day and age where I feel like we can bring some um shed some light on a topic like this. Cause I think it brings some justice to the families. Um and I hope hopefully so. You know getting some information out there like maybe by listening to stuff like this you it is now on your radar right like if you're in a social situation where you're just like yeah you know i don't know this this doesn't seem like it's adding up you know listen to that Mm -hmm. and don't just assume that everybody is has your best interest at heart yeah Well, we appreciate you guys for tuning in and listening. In case you haven't heard it today, you are loved, you are valuable, you are worthy. And then hopefully we will catch catch you. you on the flip side. Bye, guys. Hey Wildside Tribe, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Wildside Podcast. Make sure to tune in on Wildside Wednesdays. New episodes will drop each Wednesday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We would love to hear from you, so if you have a wild case recommendation, email us at wildsidepodcast at gmail.com That's wildside with a C. Or share your thoughts in the comments below as always if you haven't heard it today you're loved you're worthy and you're valuable and we'll catch you on the the flip flip side